Welcome to Impact tonight. How's everyone doing? Yeah. If you've been, if you've been attending this summer, maybe you haven't been attending much this summer. Maybe you've been at a lake house, and this is your first time back in a while, and we just welcome you here. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're tuning online. I do want to celebrate. I want to begin tonight by celebrating some things that God has been doing in our midst this summer. Um, I know Jason shared about this a little bit last week. Sarah just announced we have our last baptism classes tomorrow. We have now 76 people signed up to get baptized at the lake on August 20th. Pray for us. We're not sure how to baptize 76 people at the same time. So all at once, yeah, all at the same time. It is going to be incredible. Uh, just this month, we have over, I think it's right around 35 salvations that have happened in the month of July, whether it's at man camp or here on a weekend. Is it, can we celebrate that? People turning their hearts to Jesus. Man, we just celebrate what God is doing um, and, and just what the Holy Spirit has been doing in hearts and lives. Um, I celebrate what, what's been happening with fresh vision for this year and just how much people are behind it. You know, we, we, talk, we talk a lot about three different parts of leadership. <clears throat> and we talk about vision. And the vision for this year is next generation. Jason preached to and on our next generation uh, just last week. And we have just seen an, uh, kind of an uprising in, in the younger generation getting like on fire for the Lord to, to make a difference in their school and in, uh, like on their campus, um, in their community, uh, on their sport team. Sports are about to start for the fall. I think, I think sports season starts in like a week. Students, you have what it takes. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't have a junior Holy Spirit. You have the same power, the same Holy Spirit in you. And, and we're excited to get behind you, aren't we, church? We've been excited about that vision. Something else that we haven't really celebrated a whole lot this summer uh, is that where there's vision, there has to be then provision. Amen. There's a question then behind any, any vision is, will there, be enough will there be enough provision from people to undergird, to support the vision? We have watched people give this summer in a way that's kind of unprecedented. Do you remember that word that was thrown around all the time in 2020, unprecedented? We're going to redeem it tonight, OK? So <laughs> we have watched people give in a way that is really unprecedented. We have, I think, over $50,000 now that's come in just for our next generation vision for this year. So there's vision, and then there's provision. But there's a third part to leadership, and it's supervision. It's the question, if we have the vision, and we have the funding, who's going to do it? Uh, we've asked this question as we're heading into, we're heading into the fall, and we're going to add a third service. And there's always the question, who's going to step up and lead and serve? I had a conversation last fall. We've begun uh, having conversations in earnest about campusing and um, about expanding and multiplication. And we're excited about that. And it's kind of scary and risky. And we're stepping into unknown waters and uncharted territory. But we're excited. And I, I met with the leaders in our denomination, in our region, 
I met with the leaders of church multiplication and church planting last fall, and I asked them this question. I said, okay, what, what's the next step? Like, what's something we should focus on if we want to be a church that's multiplying? Did you know that part of impacts values is multiplication? We wanna be a multiplying church, a church that is sent and that is living out the Great Commission, going into all the world, making disciples. So I asked them this question, what's, and I, I thought it was gonna be something strategic. I thought it was gonna be something that was just gonna kind of rock my world. I was ready, I was ready to take some notes. And they said, real easily, they just said leadership. They said, the biggest issue that we're facing with planting churches and seeing unreached people reached is just leadership. We're not sure who's there to take the baton and keep going. We're not sure who's there to use another sports, to step up to the plate and risk striking out, but they're gonna at least swing. We're not sure who's there, leadership, leadership. I wanna ask you this question tonight. I wanna to talk about leadership. We've talked about vision. We've talked about provision. I wanna talk about supervision tonight, leadership. Proverbs 29, two says this, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are ruling, the people mourn. When you think about a good leader, what or who comes to your mind? Is it a teacher or a coach? Is it a parent? Is it a politician? That's just a couple of things. <laughs> Is it a theologian? When you think about a good leader, what or who comes to your mind? Judges, politicians, businessmen and women, officers, students, captains on teams, parents, all hold positions of leadership. In fact, I would, I would wager, like if I asked this room, how many of you believe yourselves to be leaders, probably less than a quarter of you would raise your hand. And yet if we sat down and I talked about your life day to day, Monday through Friday or Sunday through Saturday, whatever, I, I, would, I would venture to say that in some place in your life, you step into a position where someone else is following your lead. So the question is, how do you lead well? Um, we're gonna be studying tonight a passage of scripture that I love um, that's tucked right in the middle of the book of Exodus. And if you would ask the people of Israel, if you would ask Jews even to this day, historically, who is the most prominent leader in Israel's history? Um, they would probably, most of them would say this name. I mean, they might say names like the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they might say names from the 12 tribes of Israel. They might say some of the prophets, someone like Elijah. They might say uh, King David, or they, they, they could go through some of those names. But more than likely, at the top of the list would be this guy named Moses. And in Exodus chapter 18, Moses has just led the people of Israel, probably 400,000 at low estimates. Some estimate upwards of a million people that have been living 
as a nomadic people, been living in slavery under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt. And Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt. Okay, Exodus chapter 18 is coming off of the plagues. It's coming off of the burning bush. It's coming off of Passover, all of that stuff. And it actually precedes, it's right before Exodus chapter 19 and 20 and 21 are where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and hears from the Lord all of the law. He gets all of the 10 commandments. And tucked right in the middle of this is a chapter where Moses is visited from his father-in-law, Jethro, and his father-in-law speaks into his life about leadership. Exodus chapter 18, if you have your Bibles, you can turn. We're gonna start in verse 13. And we're gonna stop as we go, as we read through parts of this story and ask the question, God, what is it that you wanna teach us through the story of Moses? We believe that God's word is living and active. We believe that it's sharp, it divides, it, it speaks, it convicts, it exhorts, it teaches us. We believe that it has something to say. And so we're reading the story that God has chosen to tuck right in here into his word. And it's a story about Moses, the most prominent leader in all of Israel, leading all 400,000 people. And he's doing it single-handedly. And he has someone that is loving enough to step in and interject some leadership lessons, some life lessons about boundaries, about soul care, right here in Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge. This word judge is like go a governor or a prince or a leader. They didn't even have a law yet. Remember, this is right before the law. They didn't even have a governing model. They didn't have a declaration of independence or articles of anything. They didn't have any of that. They had Moses. That's it, just this guy. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening when, the, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people. Notice that phrase, we're gonna come back to that, for the people twice there. He said, what is this you are doing for the people the third time? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people, because the people, it was the people that did it to me. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. We're gonna stop there. It sounds like Moses answered a pretty good answer. I wanna teach them God's word. I wanna teach them God's decrees. I need to help the people. This is for the people. This is for the people. I've got nine things from our, from our text today um, that I want to share with you about good leadership. And it begins with this, good leaders are for the people. Good leaders are for the people. We um, live in a culture we, where we are so inundated. I probably have them on my phone right now, downloaded on my podcast. I have so many leadership podcasts downloaded onto my phone. I'm listening to, to speakers and uh, to different people in different sectors 
Um, I'm listening to pastors and business leaders and all kinds of people, authors talk about leadership. We, we read books about leadership. We go to conferences about leadership. And often when I think about leadership and we go to these conferences, we, we're looking for notes to take on what to do. Tell me, what's, like the, what's the strategy? What's like the secret sauce? Tell me how I can get from here to here. And, and really leadership starts with being all about people. This is what made Jesus so different from other leaders in the New Testament. He'd take time and he'd stoop down and hang out with kids. Oh my gosh, he'd hang out with kids. Kids, they were like property. They don't even thought twice about kids. And so the disciples actually rebuked the kids when they were coming to hang out with Jesus. He's like, I'm about the people. He's for the people. You don't have leaders without people following. If you're a self-proclaimed leader and you don't have people following you, you don't have people that you love, you're you're not a leader. Maybe a dictator or something else. I don't know, but you're you're not a good leader. Good leaders start with being for the people and they point them to God. I love that it says this right here in the text. It says, he, um, he answers this because the people come to me to seek God's will and whenever they do, it's brought to me and I decide and then I, I point them, I, I point them, I take their concerns to God. Good leaders are for the people and they take their concerns to God. Good leaders take ownership. I just recently read, been reading a book um, by Jocko Willink, um, a, a Navy SEAL who served in the Middle East and uh, led all kinds of uh, troops and missions over in Iraq. And um, he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership. And I, as you could imagine in the book, one of the primary themes throughout the book is leaders don't blame a bunch of other people They don't point fingers at other people. They don't make a bunch of excuses. They take ownership. You see, what happens here for Moses in this text is that something shifts between uh, the first verses and and something shifts between these first verses and verses 13 and 14 and verse 15. You see, in the first verses in 13 and 14, it says that Moses is for the people, for the people, for the people. But in verse 15, it says, because the people. He starts shifting blame. I, you know, I, I, who else is gonna do it? Yeah, who else is gonna do it? No one else is gonna do it. And his father-in-law doesn't accept this excuse. I heard recently from a leader, you're in control of how much you give others control. You you can't keep blaming other people. Moses gets caught putting the people he's serving in the driver's seat. He's there from sunup to sundown. So his father-in-law interjects, he steps up. And in verse 17, we're gonna continue with the story. And he says this, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. 
And remember, we're coming off of what Moses, remember what Moses just said to his father-in-law? He's like, I'm teaching them God's will. I'm teaching them his decrees. I'm helping them to decide all these things. That sounds like the right answer, doesn't it? It sounds pretty good to me. And yet Jethro is, he's discerning enough and he's wise enough. He reads right through and he's like, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. Third principle is this good leaders admit when they're not healthy. I notice in these verses, a number of red flags that Jethro raises for his son-in-law, Moses. They're not in this order, but I'm gonna bring some of them up to you. Isolation. Notice what he says, you can't, you can't, you really shouldn't do this. What word did he say? Alone. I remember when I first started ministry, uh, full-time ministry in 2007, within about a year, I had a, um, a, a, a senior leader that we were talking about uh, leadership in, in the church. And he said this um, to me and he said, uh, John, it's important that you learn that it's lonely at the top. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? It's lonely at the top. You've heard that phrase before. I hate that phrase. I don't even care if it's true. I hate the phrase. It, to me, it's an excuse for leaders to put themselves out on an island. And it's one of the reasons that we have moral failure and, and people are like, oh, they're blindsided by it. How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. They isolated themselves. They didn't submit themselves to other people. It's lonely, at the it's lonely at the top if you make it lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top if you don't invite other brothers and sisters to come around you and to take and to handle the load. I would imagine it was very lonely for Moses in this moment. Has anyone else led a group of 400,000 people single-handedly? This is insanity. From sun up to sundown, he's taking all of their issues and trying to judge and discern and to lead them. I mean, it's crazy lonely at the top for Moses right now. Red flags, isolation. How about this one, obsession? When a good mission becomes an obsession. Has your mission in life become an obsession? Sun up to sundown, you don't know when to quit. You don't know when to stop. That's not of God. How long has it been since you took a Sabbath? Time off. Excuse making, blaming other people. How about this one, a superhero complex? Or we call it in the church, the messianic complex. And you know what? No one else is gonna do it. I have to be the one that, do it, that does it. I'm the only one who can. How about this one? Another red flag for leadership, burnout. You're worn out, stressed out. Notice, I love that Jethro even uses this. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. This is right here in God's word. Someone needs to hear this. You, you are wearing yourself out. No accountability. Um, and this is inside the church and it's outside of the church. In 2007, 2007 was a really crazy year for me. In 2007, I was 22 years old. 
and I was just graduating from Indiana Westland with my bachelor's. I graduated in April. I moved into a new apartment in May. I moved into a new apartment in June. Uh, Amy and I got married on June 30th. Two weeks later, we moved to an, a new place in Warsaw, about an hour north, and I started full-time ministry in July. I lived in four different, we lived in four different houses during that year, started full-time ministry, started marriage. <clears throat> and real early on when I was in full-time ministry, I had the church, they kind of came to me. They asked this question from my leadership for, for student ministries. I was the youth pastor. And they said, hey, we've got this youth convention coming up in December and it's in Orlando, Florida. How are we gonna take our kids there? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm 22. <laughs> I, I could write a paper for you. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I can write a mean paper, all right? I can write a paper on how we can take people there. I don't know. And they were like, what, what do you think? We don't have really any money right now, but we wanna take you know, 40 to 50 kids. The church was about three, in between 300 and 400 people. Incredible church. Loved our time there, but they asked this question, how are we gonna get? And so I did what anyone who wants to be a, to impress other people does. And I worked my butt off to get 45 to 60, I forget, in between 45 and 60 students down. We raised $25,000 in three months. We did in between two and three fundraisers every single month, September, October, November, December, to get people down to Orlando. Students got saved, so it was amazing. It was like, well, look at all the things that are happening. And, and I, I'm telling you, at the very end of it, I was wore out. I was stressed out, I was wore out, but I was kind of proud of it. It's like, man, look what I, I mean, I, I accomplished this. This, is, this was really hard, and I think I'm burnt out and only six months in, <laughs> so... But I, I loved this. I remember talking with a veteran youth pastor. He's about 10 years ahead of me. And we were sitting down. Uh, it was January of 2008, just after the youth conference. And I was sharing about the whole thing. And I was like, man, it was amazing. I can't believe what happened. And look, when we, we did all these events, all that just was crazy. And he, I was, I, honestly, I was kind of proud of it. And he, he practically chided me. He literally, this was his response to me. He said, well, I hope you'll never do that again. I was like, dude, what do you, his name is Tim. I'm like, what do you, Tim, what do you mean? Like, this was amazing. I can't, people, he's like, I hope you'll never do that again. You'll, you'll burn yourself out. Church, just because it works doesn't mean it's healthy. Some of you have looked at like the return on investment. You've looked at the up and to the right for your business, for your family, for your home, for your spiritual life, for your whatever, fill in the blank. And because you got the results that you wanted, you've assumed that it was the right decision. Just because it worked doesn't mean it's healthy. Exodus 18 uh, Jethro goes on to say, you must be the people's representative before God and you must bring their disputes to him. 
Teach them his decrees, verse 20. Teach them, the, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way you are to live and how they are to behave. Good leaders teach and show you have to do both. You have to do both. A good leader doesn't just teach what you're supposed to do. You know that phrase, like, do as I say, not as I do? That's a terrible phrase, okay? <laughs> That's not good leadership. A good leader doesn't just tell people what to do. It doesn't even just train people what to do. The leader goes first. This is the way of Jesus, the incarnate Christ, God made flesh. He doesn't just teach us what to do. He goes first and he steps into it. He did this with baptism. He did this in the Sermon on the Mount. He did this with all of his teaching and his, his ministry. He goes first. He shows what we're supposed to do, not just what we're supposed to know. Teaching and showing. Teaching and showing, equipping and empowering. Notice, I don't know if you noticed this in the text, there's really not a whole lot of a difference. There's not much of a difference between the two mission statements in verses 15 and 16. If you have your Bible, you can look at those. In verses 15 and 16, Moses tells Jethro what he's doing for the people. And he says, I'm teaching them God's decrees and I'm showing them God's will. And then Jethro has the audacity in verse 20 to turn around and he's telling Moses what he should do. And do you know what he says? He almost says exactly what Moses already said. Isn't that weird? It must be maddening for Moses. Like literally Jethro says, you are supposed to be God's representative to the people. He's like, well, I've already been doing that. You're supposed to teach them God's decrees. That's what I already told you. Are you like mimicking what I'm saying? Is this a joke? And you're supposed to teach them God's instructions. And I would imagine Moses is like, that's what I'm doing. Have you ever done the right thing, but the wrong way? Have you ever said the right thing, but with the wrong tone? Don't look at the person next to you right now. You know what I'm, this is what Jethro is getting at. He's like, yeah, yes, you've been doing these things, but there's a couple of things that stand out to me when I'm studying God's word. We, we, we have words that connect passages of scripture. One of them is therefore. And if there's a therefore, we ask, what's it there for? What's it there for? Okay, come on. So, um, and if there's a therefore, there's something preceding those words that we need to take a look at. It's connecting two ideas or two thoughts. Um, if there's a then, then there, it's a indicative of a causal statement. There's an if part. And so if my people do these things, then I will do these things. And so when there's a then, we look back. Um, and it's the same thing with this next word in verse 21. But select capable men but you did something wrong, but do this in addition. But so like capable men from all people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them <clears throat> as officials over thousands, hundreds, <clears throat> fifties and tens. Church, good leaders, our next principle here, good leaders choose character over competence. They choose character over giftedness. So look at those verses again. 
Select capable men from all the people, men who have been to law school, who have their degree. They've been trained according to all the things that you need to train them. No. What, what are the three things that Moses says? He says things that are about their character. They fear God. They have a reverence, a respect, an honor for God. They're trustworthy. Are they trustworthy? Are they honest? And they hate dishonest gain. Jethro doesn't tell him to choose people who are the most gifted. He doesn't ask him to choose people who have the best pedigree or pedagogy. He doesn't ask him to choose the guys with the best batting average, the one who have the best sales records. He doesn't ask for the ones who are most qualified based on the numbers. He tells him to choose men of character. Right now in our kids' ministry, they're doing a series on the fruit of the spirit. This is it. This is it. Are the people that are leading, are they showing love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Good leaders choose character over competence. Good leaders empower others to lead. Good leaders empower others to lead. Notice what Jethro says here. He says, select other people to help you lead. Select other people and appoint them as officials. I love the word appoint here in Hebrew. It's the same word um, actually in, uh, in certain translations, it's, it's translated as ordain. You know what happens? In ordination, in ordination, the church confers upon a man or a woman and says, we believe that you are called to teach and to lead and to preach and to shepherd God's church. This is what Moses is being charged to ordain other leaders to say, you've got what it takes and you've got what it takes and you've got what it takes and you've got, and you can step up to the, and you can do it and you can do it. And I, it's, it's all of us. It's kind of like the priesthood of all believers before the New Testament. Good leaders empower others to lead. Several years ago, our next gen department, we read this book called Growing Young. And one of the principles for a church that grows younger, that reaches the next generation. Sound familiar? Like that's our vision for this year. One of the principles is uh, keychain leadership. And in the book, what the author does, he, he calls the church to hand over the keys to students. Parents, have you had a, has one of your kids um, recently learned how to drive? I love getting on Facebook to see parents' pictures with their kids as they're sitting in the passenger seat for the first time and they take one of these selfies and they're like fear and trepidation all over their face. And they're like, pray for me, I'm gonna die. And, you know, and their 15 to 16 year old is sitting in the driver's seat and they're like, oh, I've never been so scared in my life. It will be me before I know it. I know it, that's right. My son is in here right now and just in a few years, he's gonna be in the driver's seat giving the keys. Can they drive as good as you? No, they can't. 
but do you wanna drive them for the rest of your life? I'm just gonna answer that for you. No, you don't, okay? You don't wanna be that. You don't want driving Miss Daisy with your child, okay? That's not what you want. Keychain leadership is for us to give away keys to people. It, Ephesians chapter four says it this way. It's, it's Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I, I see it this way. It's equipping people and it's empowering people. It's not just teaching them. It's then giving them the keys. Good leaders empower others to lead. I, have, I had a conversation with a prominent leader in our community and I didn't actually talk to him about sharing this beforehand, so I'm not gonna use his name. Um, I'm gonna call him Frank, all right? So I had this conversation just this last week with Frank. He's been a prominent leader in our community for years. And he was talking about a project that he was, uh, he typically would oversee, but he had kind of given the keys to the next person that's going to be following in his footsteps. You see, he's getting close to these kind of legacy years where he's asking the question, who's going to come after me? And he told me right out here in our lobby this week, he said, John, I gotta tell you, it was, it was tough for me because he really led the project so well that I wasn't needed at all. And he was like, and I was kind of, I was kind of jealous. And I brought him in and I said, hey, hey, Joe, I, I need you to know, I, and I don't need you to know this so that you feel um, my insecurity. I need you to know this because one day you're gonna be in my seat and you're gonna be leading people that are doing things better than you and I want you to check your ego at the door for the, for the kingdom. I was like, that's it. Good leaders empower others to lead. Discipline, discipline of delegation. Three questions that come to my mind in the discipline of delegation. Can you do it? Should you do it? Who else could do it? Can you do it? If you're a leader, the answer is yes. You can do it. Should you do it? I don't know. This takes discernment. There are things that you do need to still put, you know, insert yourself into. Situations that you need to come into and you need to still lead and be present. It doesn't mean that you check out. But it does mean that you bring someone alongside of you to teach to take the baton and to keep running the race. Who else could do it? Can you do it? Should you do it? Who else could do it? Bill Gates says it this way, as we look ahead into the next century, leaders will be those who empower others. President Ronald Reagan said it this way, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. I love this. He or she is the one that gets the people to do the greatest things celebrates that other people are actually doing the greatest things, not I'm getting to do the greatest things. I wonder how Moses felt. I really wish that there was some commentary on this in the text. I wonder how Moses felt here. I wonder if he had some ego issues. Like, I, I really like being the most important person in everyone's life. I wonder how the people felt. Well, I really want Moses to do it. I, I really would like 
I, I really like his attention. And then, uh, now I get Joseph's or I don't know, come up with another Hebrew name. And now I get there. I don't even know who that person is. It's gotta be difficult. It's gotta be a difficult transition. But the, lead, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest things. He's the one that gets the people to do the greatest things. <clears throat> about, about eight, nine, 10 years ago, I was student ministries pastor here at Impact and we were celebrating planning our first baptism service for student ministries. We had nearly 20 students signed up to get baptized and we were gonna hold our own student ministry baptism service. And I was geeked about it, super excited until I saw on the list that only one student chose me to baptize them at the baptism service. And I'm not kidding. I, I went through a spell, like a couple weeks of significant insecurity. I was like, I don't think I'm leading very well. Somehow only one student out of nearly 20 wants their youth pastor to baptize them. And then I looked at the, I had to have other leaders come in and speak into my life. Cause honestly, I was really insecure about it for real. Um, and then the one guy that I did baptize, I hit his head on the baptismal. I didn't even baptize someone, right? So it's pretty bad. Um, that's true. That really did happen. So I, I looked at the list and instead of students selecting me to baptize them, they selected their life group leaders to baptize them. And I couldn't see, I could not see clearly. I was too, I was too blinded, honestly, by my own ego and my own insecurity. And I had to have someone else say, John, you, that's such a win. You've poured into adult leaders so much that they're the ones that are pastoring students. And now the students have asked them, you've, you've empowered other people to lead. And I'm telling you, when you do that, it's risky because you have to check your ego. Good leaders, this is tucked right here in the middle of the text as well. Good leaders manage the miracle. You notice what Jethro says, he, he tells him, you, know, you need to split people up into thousands, hundreds, fifties, and 10. This is organization. Who loves organizing stuff? Who hates organizing stuff? You're like, shoot from the hip. I mean, you're like, I don't want, to, I don't want the organization. And, and Jethro's like, I, I, I'm telling you, you need to split, you need to organize this whole system. Good leaders manage the miracle. Luke chapter nine, Jesus is standing before a whole multitude of people and they're all hungry. And he says, you gotta, guys, he's talk, talking to his 12 disciples. You gotta give them something to eat. And they answer Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And unless we go and buy food uh, for all this crowd, and there's 5,000 men who are here, which is probably more like 15,000, 20,000 people, but that his disciples say, or he says to his disciples, Jesus tells his disciples, 12 people on his team, have them sit down in groups of about 50. Jesus is having his disciples help manage a miracle that he does. And then if you read the rest of the story, Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and he looks up to heaven, he gives thanks, he breaks, and then he gives all of the food to his disciples. And then the disciples, Jesus doesn't pass out all the food. He equips and empowers his disciples to come and take part in the miracle. And this is what he's doing. This is what he's asking for us to do. 
so often. In fact, he even prays uh, for the church before he leaves. And he says, you will do greater things when I leave. Good leaders manage the miracle. Exodus chapter 18, it goes on, have them serve as judges for the people at all time, at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. So there's still structure to it. It's not like you're abdicating leadership and you're being removed, but you're helping spread the load. The simple cases they can decide for themselves that will make, listen to this, don't, don't you love this? That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, he's still, Jethro, even his, even his advice is still submitting to, to God. And God so commands you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Good leaders create healthy boundaries. Do you have healthy boundaries in your life? One of our pastors right now is on a sabbatical because we believe in this and we don't always get it right, okay? So we are human. We don't always get it right. We don't always take a Sabbath. We don't always say, I actually need to just say no. I know you're not gonna be happy with that, but I need to just say no. I, I can't, no, I can't meet with all 400,000 of you. <laughs> it just sounds crazy even saying, no, you, you meet with, your other leader. Several years ago, it was actually in 2019, I, got, I was looking back through my notes from our staff meetings. And in 2019, we were moving into our new facility. And 2019 was a pretty crazy and awesome year for our church. We moved buildings, we finished the project. <clears throat> we finished up a portable campus at Cherry Creek Elementary School. And honestly, a lot of us were kind of worn out. And some probably on the edge of burnout. And in one of our staff meetings, we read this article from Seth Godin and it's called Maximization Versus Optimization. And we talked about where we've been maximized and where we need to back off to optimization. Let me read some of it to you. I once drove home from college at 100 miles an hour. It saved two hours. My old car barely made it, shocking. <laughs> and I was hardly able to speak once I peeled myself out of the car. That was maximum speed, but it wasn't optimum. Systems have an optimum level of performance. It's the output that permits the elements, including the humans, to do their best work, to persist at it, to avoid disasters, bad decisions, and there's that word, burnout. One definition of maximization is this, a short-term output level of high stress where parts degrade, but short-term performance is high. And we live in a culture of maximization. Good leaders choose optimization. They choose boundaries. So Exodus chapter 18, the, the story continues on. Moses has just heard from his father-in-law Jethro. And he says, it says this, Mo Moses listened to his father-in-law and he did everything he said. He submitted to good counsel. He chose capable men from all of Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges or leaders 
or governors or princes, that's the, all that same word, judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. Our last principle is this, good leaders are good listeners. All throughout the book of Proverbs, this book on wisdom, I think it's almost 30 different times, there is a word um, in Hebrew that is uh, listen or shema. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you will be counted among the wise. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise, what do they do? They listen to advice. Proverbs 25, 12, like an earring of gold and a jewelry and a jewelry piece of fine gold is a wise person who offers rebukes to a listening ear. Do you consider the person in your life that holds you accountable, that speaks truth into your life, do you consider them a fine piece of jewelry even though they've actually offered a rebuke? Even though they've offered you a word of exhortation, like they're, I don't think that's healthy. How many of you, if you're Moses, would you be defensive? Jethro's first statement after Moses shares them is, what you're doing is not good. I'd immediately be like, easy, get up, get out of here, you can go. Actually, the last verse, we didn't even read this, but the last verse in the text um, says that then Moses or Jethro went on his way to his home. And so I, I just wonder if Moses, if I were Moses, I'd be like, you can leave, you can go home now. All right, we don't need your opinion here. No, Moses listens. Wisdom says, listen. In the first part of the book of Proverbs, Solomon says, listen, my children, listen, my son, over and over and over again, listen. Listen. Simon Sinek says, all great leaders I know think of themselves as students, people who wanna learn, people who wanna listen. Larry Osborne, sometimes the best advice comes from the least likely sources. Who are you listening to? Are you a listener? Church, as we leave tonight, I've got our nine principles from this story. <clears throat> And maybe you need to take one of these this week. Good leaders are for the people. Good leaders take ownership. Good leaders admit when they're not healthy. Good leaders teach and they show the, they do both. Good leaders choose character over competence. Good leaders empower others to lead. Good leaders manage the miracle. Good leaders create healthy boundaries. Good leaders are good listeners. Church, <clears throat> We are so excited for the vision that God's laid before us. We're so excited for the provision of people giving. We need more of you and we will need more of you next week and next month and next year to stand up, to step up as leaders, to serve, to guide, to exhort, to teach, to admonish other people. Our world is in desperate need of good leadership, godly leadership, Christ-like leadership. So God, tonight, would you do this work in our hearts? Would you challenge us? 
Would you mold us? Would you shape us? Help us to be leaders that listen to your word, that hear wisdom, that hear advice, that hear commands, that hear um, <clears throat> decrees and laws and instruction. And we don't spurn it. We don't turn away from it. We, would, we turn to it and we employ it in our lives. Help us to be leaders that follow after you, Jesus, first and foremost. Thank you for being the one who sacrificed, the leader who, who served, the leader who taught and then showed, the leader who empowered, the leader who took time away and had good boundaries. Help us to have good boundaries, God. Would you do this work in our hearts and our lives for your kingdom so that it might be multiplied that your kingdom come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven, God. Would you do that work in us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.